Well, good morning, everybody, and happy 4th of July, Independence Day weekend to you. Uh, glad you're here. So, uh, when I say the word church, what do you think about? What comes to mind when I say the word church? Is it a building? Right? Do you think of a church building? When I say the word church, is that what comes to mind? Or maybe what comes to mind is worship service times, as in going to church. This is actually a screenshot from our website highlighting our service, our worship service times, 9 and 10.30. Do you think of, when you think of church, do you think of going to church at a certain time for an event, for a worship service? When I say the word church, do you think of worship music, like what we just experienced, where we sing and we raise our hands and we close our eyes and we focus our hearts and our minds and our souls on God? When I say the word church, do you think of tradition? Do you think of stained glass windows and maybe pews? and the right color carpet, whatever that might be for you. Everybody has a different idea on that, by the way. What do you think of when you think of the word church? Now, here's the truth. If you think of those things when you think of the word church, you're not necessarily wrong, but you are incomplete in your thinking. If you think only of those things when you think of church, then it's simply not complete. It's not whole, W-H-O-L-E. It's not complete because the church is more than those things, isn't it? The church is all about living for Christ 24-7, 365 and one-fourth days. Yes, we always forget about that one-fourth day. There's that thing called leap year, right? That we need to live for Jesus on a regular, daily, every moment of our lives basis. Which is why you guys probably noticed, but I have some very large numbers behind me, right? And it gives us the number 167. Now, what's interesting is that we made these, we created these, we cut them out of styrofoam, and I believe it was the Bickets that painted them, right? Paul, you remember, he's in the room. He, I have no doubt he remembers that because this was no easy task. Styrofoam soaks everything up like crazy. It was like 12,000 coats, I think, to get it to actually work, right? Bickets did it for us, but we painted and we created these numbers for our one-year anniversary as a church. We met together for one big service and then had a big party with food and cake afterwards. By the way, guess what we're going to do for our 10-year? <laughs> it's going to be similar. I will say this, a lot more inflatables than we had at our one year. So yes, it's going to be even better. But we created these numbers, the 167, and the reason we did that is for the one-year anniversary, the, the whole message was about the 167. Now, you might be here, and you might be saying, well, what does the 167 really mean? I've heard you guys talk about it. If you've been to Northridge for any length of time, we talk about it fairly often. 
So what does the 167 mean? Well, it's very simply a simple reminder that every person has 168 hours in every single week. Now, how many of you feel like you need kind of like 200? God messed up. You're like, I needed 200, God. 168 is not enough. I needed 200. I feel that way, especially the last three, four weeks. Absolutely, I needed 200 hours, right? But the truth is, regardless of whether we think we need it or not, and whether you believe you actually have it or not, every single human being gets 168 hours every single week. Now, here at our church at Northridge, what our hope and what our prayer, what our desire is, is that we would spend at least minimum at least one hour together worshiping and hearing from God and, and celebrating and challenging and motivating and keeping each other accountable and loving on each other at least one hour every single week, corporately together. But then if you do your math right, and it's not hard math, even I can do this math, you subtract one hour and you're left with 167 other hours in your week. Real purpose in your life as a follower of Christ, real purpose comes not just from what we do here for an hour, but what you do when you leave here, the other 167 hours. And so that's what we're going to talk about. So today we're going to wrap it up. We're going to land the plane on our series called Cross Training. We've been talking about this question. We've been answering this question over the last several weeks. What does it mean? What does it look like for us, for us as followers of Jesus, to build spiritual muscle, to, to deepen our faith, to strengthen our relationship with Jesus? What does that look like? How do we do that? And let me just tell you, it's been really cool to hear a lot of different stories from people who have started to dig into, read God's Word, the Bible, for the first time. Uh, I've heard from people who are starting to pray more frequently, more, uh, more honestly, more humbly. There's been some really cool stories from people that I've heard just in bits and pieces. Uh, really, really cool things, how people are strengthening and building their spiritual muscle. I love that. But one of the greatest ways that you and I can build spiritual muscle, can develop our faith this is going to sound really silly. It's by practicing your faith on a daily basis. It's by living in to what God is calling you and asking you to do on a daily basis. Living the 167 every moment. And so today I want to talk about Living the 167. Now, the question that you have is probably right away, well, how do I do that? How do we live the 167? You guys ask great questions. So let's answer that today. How do we do that? What, what does that look like? And what does Jesus say about living the 167? And no, Jesus didn't say 167. That's Northridge's way of saying it, right? And so how does Jesus talk about living the 167? Let's talk about that a little bit. So it's a holiday weekend. I don't know about you, but fireworks and everything else, let's just keep it simple, all right? So I'm going to give you one verse today. One verse. The direct words of Jesus who explains the 167 kind of life. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Again, Jesus' words. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, 
and follow me. Jesus says three things here. Three very simple, very clear things if we are going to live the 167 life. And so I want to talk about each one of those. Um, let's go with the first one. What's the first thing that Jesus says? If you want to live the 167 life, if you want to be a follower of Christ, you have to do what first? What did Jesus say first? He said, you must give up your own way. Yay. Right? This is, this is maybe the hard first step, isn't it? I was actually asked this question this weekend, as in two days ago, by a couple of people that are in this room, all right? They asked me this question. They said, what does it, what's kind of the magic sauce for people to change their path, to change their course? It was a great question. I also did not have a great answer at the time. I rambled like crazy. Some of you are going to be like, I'm not surprised about that. <laughs> I truly did. I rambled and rambled and I said all these things, but then I finally landed on the answer that I was actually going to be talking about today. In fact, I told them, I said, I'm going to be talking about this on Sunday. Can I tell you what I think probably is really the biggest answer, the first thing? The first way that we learn how to give up our own way is that we need to change. And if you're going to change, what's the first thing you need to admit before you change? That you need to. What's the first step in AA or Al-Anon? Do you know what the first step is? There's a 12-step process of change. You know what the very first step is? It's the most important. You cannot do the other steps without it. It literally, you can try, people do try all the time, it will not work. The first step is you have to have integrity, and you have to be honest about the fact that you need to change. That's step number one. Admit you need change and admit you need help. That's the first step. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying here, one of the keys to moving from unhealth to health, whether we're talking physical, whether we're talking emotional, whether we're talking spiritual, is to admit that you need a change in life. So uh, I remember when I was first, I was a teenager and I was learning bowling. It was my first time, you know, at a bowling alley, and, and my, I had been to a bowling alley before, but I had never really learned how bowling works and how the scores work and all that kind of stuff. And so I was learning to bowl for the first time. And so, you know, I got my bowling ball. I didn't, know, I didn't even know how to pick out a bowling ball. You know, they have those numbers on there, which correspond to weight. I didn't know that. And I'm trying to, I'm like picking, you know, finger holes and all this stuff. I'm like, these seem a little small. These are too big. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is heavy. You know, all those things. And so I didn't even know how to, so I picked a ball and I get up there and I start bowling, right? And so I do what most of us do. I kind of get my feet together like you're supposed to do, like they show you to do. And, and I hold the ball up here and, and I walked forward and I released the ball and I let it go. And I just figured, you know, it's going to go roll down there. It's going to knock the pins down and we go home, right? Well, the problem is that I would step up and I would walk forward and I would roll that ball. And every time, it happened the first time and then it happened every time I kept doing this, the ball would go from the right side of the lane and it would go all the way across the lane and it would hit the gutter, the left gutter, and then it would bounce around a little bit. I always hoped that it would bounce up enough to hit that one pin on the right side, right? Just to the right of it on the left side there. And, and I was like, in the gutter, and I'm like, ah, right? So I was like, okay, I just, I just need to, it's going to the left, so I need to move over a little bit. Okay, here we go. Whoo, nope, gutter. Brr. I'm like, ah, 
Bowling is so hard. All I have to do is roll the stupid thing straight, right? I'm just getting frustrated. And so I kept doing this, kept doing this. Every now and then I'd hit like one or two pins on the left side, but it just kept going across. And then somebody stepped up and very nicely, very discreetly, so they, they, they knew that I looked terrible, you know, and so they're trying to help me without making it look like I'm a complete idiot, right? And so they step up and they whisper and they're like, I think you should try stepping to the left, a little further to the left as you go up. And, and I'm thinking, you know, as a, and I'm a teenager, right? And so I'm like, yeah, okay, genius. Have you noticed that my ball's been going in the left gutter? Yeah, let's move closer to the gutter. That's a great idea, dummy. I mean, that's, that was, I'm just being honest. That was my thought going in my head. I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. Who are you? Right? And so I get up there and I bowl. <laughs> left gutter, blah, you know. And I'm like, okay, well, okay, let's be honest. It can't get much worse. And so I decide to take this person's advice. And instead of moving to the right or staying in the same place, I move a big step left. I, you know those arrows that are sitting there? I'm like, I'm a full arrow to the other side of where I was. And so I get up there and I roll. And wouldn't you know it, I kid you not, like a snap, that ball went straight down, blew the pins apart. I was like, yes, I am awesome at bowling. I didn't say that. I'm not even sure if I thought that. I was just happy that the ball actually hit some pins. Right? I don't even remember if I got a strike. I just knew pin action happened and they, were bl they blew apart because I actually went down the middle of the lane. And I kid you not, for the rest of the time, I, that was my mark and I rolled the ball and it went straight like almost every single time from then on. I didn't have a, I didn't have a gutter ball, I don't think, the rest of the time. Now, I didn't get strikes the rest of the time either, but the ball went straight. I was like, this is amazing. Bowling is so easy. Here's the truth. I knew things weren't working, but that's not the same as me knowing that I needed to change. That's not the same thing. I could blame the ball. I could blame I've never done this before. I could blame the person who was not giving me advice. I could blame the person who was giving me advice. I could blame anything I wanted. But me knowing that something's not working is not the same as me knowing that I need to adjust, that I'm the problem. But I was the problem. I had to adjust where I was standing. I had to adjust my thinking. I had to accept a person who knew what they were talking about and their advice. This is exactly what Jesus is inviting us into in that verse. He's inviting you to give up your way. Jesus is saying, you're standing on the wrong mark. That's why life is not quite working out exactly what you kind of think maybe it should. Jesus says, all I need you to do, I just, I just need you to move over a little bit, and I'm going to show you a different path. It's going to be awesome. The ball's going to roll straight. The pin action's going to be amazing. God says, all I need you to see is that I just want to tweak some things, but I need you to get on board with it. I want you to see that I want you to give up your way for a better way. We can't live the 167 life if we leave here and just decide we're going to do life exactly the same way that we always have been doing it and that we want to do it. 
the 167 will not happen. All right. What's the second thing that Jesus says? He says, you have to give up your own way. And then what does he say? He says three or four words. He says, take up your cross. Oh, yes. Now, here's the thing. Let's be honest for a minute. We as followers of Christ, if you've been a Christian for a long time, this is probably true, and even those of us who are here and maybe you don't even believe in Jesus yet, okay, still probably true that when we hear Jesus say, take up your cross, immediately we think Jesus is talking figuratively, symbolically, right? And, and I would be in the same camp. Here's why. Here's what I don't see Christians doing. I don't see you leaving here today or going back to work, you know, Monday if you have to work on holiday or Tuesday or Wednesday, and you guys are looking around for crosses to pick up. Where's the cross? Jesus said, pick it up, take it up. Let's go. I'm going to carry a cross. Where is it at? Nobody's looking for that. Nobody's doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not looking for a cross to carry. By the way, if you need a cross to carry, a physical one, we've got one in a storage shed. It's actually in Pastor Nick's shed. We just moved it there this last week. We have one. If you want to carry a cross physically, cool, we've got one for you, right? That's not what Jesus is talking about, though, is it? Here's what I want to do. I want to go back. Who was Jesus talking to when he said these words? Who is he talking to? Is he talking to us? Yes, by default, because it's in Scripture. Yes, he's talking to us, absolutely. But who was he talking to in that moment? Who was looking at him? You know who it was? The disciples. Let me just tell you something. When, when I say the word cross, what do you think of? You think of a cross. And what else do you think of? You think of faith. We think of Jesus dying on the cross. That's not what the disciples thought. You understand that cross did not mean faith to them because none of that had happened yet. Do you know what the disciples heard when Jesus said, take up your cross? You know what they heard? They heard the word cross, and what do they associate with the word cross? Crucifixion. They associate threat. They associate cost, sacrifice of some kind, and maybe even punishment. They think that there is a cost to this. And that's exactly what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross. Whether we like it or not, let me, say, let me just say, this is a long ways on the other side of the spectrum from prosperity gospel. You know what the prosperity gospel says? Prosperity gospel says, believe in Jesus and you will be rich and successful. Nothing bad will ever happen to you. I'm just, I'm just, I just want to be clear. The Bible does not say that. God does promise blessing. God does promise reward. God does promise these things. But it's a whole lot less to do with material things and a whole lot more to do with spiritual things <laughs> that he promises. See, the disciples heard cost, threat, enemy. When Jesus said, take up your cross, they're like, oh, there's a cost to this, is what Jesus is saying. Now, let's be honest. We know that anything of value has a cost, right? We know that, for example, uh, if, if we want a, a really strong marriage, uh, can, can, does it just work like in the movies where you just like, uh, somebody comes in, sweeps you off your feet? It's like Top Gun. Woo! Yay, let's go ride in a jet. 
at Mach 2, and we're going to fall in love, and it's going to be amazing. And they live happily ever after flying off into the sunset, right? And, and no problems ever happen. No, it's not like that. What does marriage require? Hard work. It's one of the first things I say in pre-marriage counseling. So the first section that we go through is expectations. Now, what are your expectations? Oh, that's a fun one, right? We get into it right away. It takes hard work. Why? Because anything of value has a cost. If you want a great relationship with your kids, it's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you energy. It's going to cost you money even. Anybody know that? Kids cost money. Jackson, I love you. You cost money. It's worth it. He's running sound. (laughs) No, we're doing awesome. But seriously, it's going to cost you something. If you want anything in life, it's going to cost you something because that's how it works. But what's great about Jesus is he says the cost is worth it because what I'm going to offer you so far outweighs the cost. It's unbelievable. In fact, this is Independence Day weekend, right? Why do we celebrate Independence Day? Because we declared independence from England, right? That's, if you go back to history, you guys are like, oh, here we go, history teacher, right? This is why we celebrate Independence Day. It's when we celebrate the fact that we declared independence from England. Now, let me ask you this. How did we declare independence? Do you remember how we did it? We wrote a document. I have a picture of it, okay? This is, this is the Declaration of Independence. This is the original document. This is a picture of the original Declaration of Independence. We wrote all of that stuff down. By the way, who, they wrote really small. Do you notice that? It's like, got to get the uh, bifocals out, right? The, read, tip the glasses up. But this is the Declaration of Independence. But here's what I want to ask you. What did all the people that helped write that and were in the room, what did they do at the bottom of the Declaration of Independence when they were all done? What did they do? We have a shot of this. They signed it, right? Every one of them signed it in ink. This is really, really important. What these people were doing is they were saying to the rest of the world, I'm in. There's no hiding. We are declaring independence, and then they signed their name. John Hancock clearly wanted to be known. Big one right in the middle. They were immediately, they knew this, there was a cost. They were going to, every one of them who signed that document, they were going to be branded as a traitor. Now, I'm not going to get all history on you this morning, but let me just say this. The punishment for a traitor, according to England in the 18th century, was to be hanged, drawn, and quartered. I am not going to go into detail because some of us would throw up this morning. But seriously, You may or may not want to look it up, but let me just tell you, it's one of the worst possible ways to be executed that you can imagine. It is really not good. That was the official official punishment. That's exactly what would have happened if they were caught. And they all signed their name to it. There's a cost. There's a cost. 
Living out the 167 means that you might have to give up some time, some phone time, some hobby time, some boat time. We just spent some awesome time on the boat on Friday. It was amazing. You might have to give up some of your work time. You might have to give up some family time even. You might have to give up some time to live out the 167 for Christ. There's a cost. There's, there's a real, real deal where it's going to cost you some finances. I don't know about you, but I've given more money away since I've been following Christ than ever before. Why? Because I know that God demands it of us. And can I just say that sometimes I struggle with that? I'm like, ah, I don't know what they're going to do with it, though. Anybody struggle with that one? Ah, oh, man, I do. My rational mind. And you know what's really going on? Probably, I just don't want to release it. Probably what's really going on. It's gonna, there's a cost financially. There's a cost spiritually. There's a cost relationally. There's a cost to this because it, there is a threat. There's a real enemy. There are people that are totally going to be against you if, you're, if you sign your name with Jesus. And the question I have for you before we go to this last one is, are you willing to sign your name with Jesus? Or do you secretly come to church and then secretly live your life believing in Jesus, but nobody knows? Are you willing to sign your name? Are you willing to be all in? Live the 167. When somebody's hurting at work, I know this happens. Are you willing to pray for them and with them. That's 167. You might be the only person who points them to Jesus in a moment that they need it. There's a cost to this. It's going to cost you something. We've got a couple in this room right now who just adopted two kids. We're going to hear their story soon. I don't know when. We're going to hear it. We just, Laura and I were just, and our kids were just at their celebration yesterday at a park. There are two kids who are safe, who are rescued out of awful stuff. I don't even know all of it. You guys too. And they're taking a huge risk and a huge hit in their family, but they're doing it because they know God called them to do it. There's a cost to following Jesus, but let me just say the cost pales and is minuscule compared to what God offers in eternity for you and for the help that you're going to bring to people. All right, we've got to keep going. Third thing that Jesus says. So he says, give up your own way. He says, take up your cross. There's going to be a cost. There's going to be a cost to this, but he's going to offer something amazing. And then he says two words. They're very simple. What does he say? He simply ends by saying, follow me. Jesus says, follow me. I just, I want, you, I just want you to follow me. You have to first give up your way. Then you have to take up your cross. You have to realize that following me is going to be a cost, and then you just need to do it. 
You just need to do it. You just need to follow me. Uh, I love, there's a story about a couple that lived in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, and they were called into ministry. Uh, they now serve on staff at a church up in Rice Lake. Uh, but when, at the time when they were called into ministry, there, were no, uh, there weren't a lot of online, maybe there were no online classes probably, for ministry. And so they decided that they were going to pack up all of their belongings and move their family down from Eau Claire, Wisconsin, down to Indiana Wesleyan University in Indiana, Marion, Indiana, a small private Christian college that I went to. And uh, they were going to go there to learn ministry and become, you know, go into full-time pastoring and ministry and all kind of stuff. So completely switch gears from business world into ministry. And so uh, they pack all their stuff into a moving truck. And the husband is driving the moving truck. And his wife and his mother-in-law, so his wife's mother, they're riding together in the car just, you know, doing what they do. They're driving, you know talking, like all that kind of stuff. And they're just having a blast. They're reconnecting mom and daughter. You know, they're just having a good time. And they're just following this moving truck. Well, they get in and through Chicago. They're going through Chicago. If any of you have ever driven through Chicago, it's no joke, right? It's like 12,000 lanes across or whatever. And people are going uh, exactly the speed limit. You know, the speed limit's 55 and they're just, they're just putzing along, you know? Let me, let me just say this. If you haven't driven through Chicago, if you go the speed limit, you will become a bug as people just bowl right through you and over you, right? It's like no joke. And so they're just going through Chicago and the moving truck. And so the husband's driving the moving truck. The, the mother and daughter are, are in the car behind and they're just chattering away, blah, 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 blah. And then you get to the other side of Chicago and the mother who is driving with her daughter, uh, she all of a sudden looks at her and she says, what moving truck company did we rent? Uh, Ryder? That's not good. We're following a U-Haul. Somewhere in the midst of crazy Chicago, and they're talking back and forth, she had gotten behind the wrong moving truck. And this was before the days of cell phones, and so they didn't reconnect until all the way back into central Indiana until they got to campus. They were following the wrong truck, which is hilarious. Not so much when we're talking about our Savior. A lot of people follow the wrong Jesus. A lot of people follow the, just be a good person, Jesus. It's the wrong Jesus. A lot of people follow the um, let's just make sure we get to church as often as we can, but let's not worry about the 167 because we went to church, so I think we're good, kind of Jesus. Wrong Jesus. Wrong Jesus. Some people follow the, there's a whole bunch of different paths to God, a whole bunch of different faiths to God, Jesus. Wrong Jesus. In fact, it was Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, nobody, no human being can get to God except through me. I'm the gate. Jesus himself said that. So if there's any other direction, it's the wrong Jesus. See, the 167 mentality and this understanding is really, really important. 
Because we can spend together an hour here, and I'm glad you guys did, by the way. Some of you are like, well, we're here. Why are you harping on us? Anybody feeling that way right now? <laughs> I hear you, all right? Or maybe you're watching online. We love you too. You're awesome, all right? Seriously, it's okay. But we kind of get wrapped up in this American mentality that an hour of church is what informs our faith. And what I'm here to tell you is that's the wrong Jesus. The right Jesus says we're going to live 168 hours, yes, when we worship corporately, but then when you leave here, what are you going to do? How are you going to live? How do people know that you are a follower of Christ? What do, what's going to tell them that from your words, from your actions? And, and some of you are like, well, I spend like 40 to 60 hours of, uh, of my week at work. Awesome! Do you know how many people you interact with at work? Some of you are like, uh, two? And I can't stand at least half of them. <laughs> oh, some of you are like, yeah, that's true. <laughs> cool, that's okay. Even if you only work with two other people and you can't stand half of them, still show both of them the love of Jesus. You might be the only one that has the opportunity to lead them to eternity with God, and that might be even why you're there. Do your work in a way that is a 167 kind of life where you honor Jesus. Go to school and live at school in a way that honors Jesus. Be in your family and at sports and your hobbies and on the lake and off the lake and at camping and everything else. Honoring Jesus. And 167 is important. Now, let me just say this. There, I think there's an important question that I have not asked yet and I left it off for a reason. And the question is this, why did Jesus say those three things in that moment to the disciples? You probably hadn't wondered that yet, but I want to ask that question. Why did Jesus say that in that moment, in that moment in time, to the disciples? Is it so Brent could preach on it on Independence Day weekend? <laughs> no. Why did he do that? Here's what I want to do is I want to go back and I want to read the three verses right before Jesus says the three things that we've just been talking about. It's going to tell you everything you need to know as to why Jesus said what he said. Okay, let me read this. Verse 21. Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed. Again, there's a cost. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him, which means to correct Jesus. By the way, just so you know, when you begin to correct Jesus, it's just not going to go well for you. Okay, the day is headed the wrong direction. And he began to reprimand, correct Jesus for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, Peter said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. You know what Jesus says next? right after he calls Peter Satan, he says, 
And, and I, I, don't, I don't know if this is true, but I, I would imagine maybe Jesus says, guys, bring it in. Peter, it's okay, but I need you to hear this. And he's looking at the disciples in their eyes, and he says, if you want to follow me, you have to give up your way. You have to take up your cross, and you need to just follow me. Don't reprimand me. Don't correct me. Just follow. Jesus invites us to give up looking through things at the worldly point of view to accept God's point of view. In fact, let me ask you this last question. I think we all know that the 167 life is important. I think we recognize that. Let me prove it to you. What do we call people who attend church and follow Jesus on a Sunday but do not follow Jesus most other days? What do we call those people? We call them hypocrites, right? Why do we call them hypocrites? Because we know that what they say they believe and how they're living doesn't line up. It doesn't make sense. In fact, let me ask you this question. Please don't raise your hand because I'm guessing this is most of us and don't look at the people. But this is a serious question. How many of you have invited people into church or have invited people to accept Jesus or into faith and the barrier that they gave to you, the, the reason that they gave to you, the excuse that they gave to you, and maybe they said it, maybe they didn't say it, and you just know this is the barrier without them saying it, the barrier was that they had an experience with a so-called Christian follower of Christ who didn't look or talk or act at all like Jesus in their life, but they certainly attended church. And the barrier, the reason they won't go to church is because they've seen a whole lot of people that go to church and they don't look like it on the, any other day. Can I tell you, church, our hope, our prayer for Northridge is that we live in such a way, the 167, that when we leave these walls, that when people interact with your words and your actions and, you, and who you are and how you treat other people and how you treat your family and how you treat people that vote differently than you and how you deal with people in certain situations, in school, at work, those, those two people, the one that you don't like and the one that you're just best friends with, how do you treat both of them? If we don't live the 167, then we're giving the wrong idea. We're actually presenting the wrong Jesus to follow. And here's what my hope is. This is why the 167 is so dear to Northridge. Because it is our hope and it is our goal to destroy, to demolish, to explode and blow up this mentality that faith can be boiled down to an hour on a weekend. An hour on a weekend is not at all what Jesus called us to. Is it important? My goodness, we are wasting our time if it's not. Yes, this is important. This is good. 
We, we're called to do this, to gather together. But then we need to leave here as the church being the church. 167. You have 167 other hours that you're about to go. As usual, I'm going to go a little past 10. But you're going to have, so it's, a, it's, like, it's like 166 and like three quarters. Maybe that's what our church should be. Are you living the 166 and three quarter life from Northridge? Because our pastor goes long sometimes. Oh, the things that come into my head in the moments, right? Seriously, if our church does not live the 167, then we're not, not worth the salt. We're not worth the name that we supposedly worship. When you leave here today, how are you going to be the church to those around you? How are you going to present Christ to them? No, you don't have to preach, but your life will say everything that it needs to. So how are you going to do that? I will leave you with the words of Jesus. Give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Not just now, in this hour, but every single day. Let's pray. Lord, we do give you praise and glory for the fact that we live in a country where we can speak and we can preach boldly. We're not saying our country's perfect. We're not saying our nation has it all figured out. But we are thankful that we get to exist and live in a country where we have freedom to say, this is what we believe and this is who we believe in. This is who we're going to follow. And so very simply today, God, I want to pray that you would help every person in our church, which is our church. The church is not a building, it's people. The church is not an hour on a weekend, it is the people. We are going to, literally the church is about to explode out into our community in just a few minutes. God, I pray that you would help us to remember that living the 167 life is simple. It may not be easy, but it's simple. We simply have to give up our way, take up our cross, and follow the right Jesus, the one true, genuine, authentic, biblical Jesus, you. And I look forward to what we're going to do. We're going to have more families adopting kids out of horrible situations. We're going to see marriages that are unhealthy move to healthy. We're going to see addictions break. We're going to see people who are in this community or around this community that are in poverty or stuck in a rut or stuck in habits. Maybe they can't even get a job, God. We're going to find opportunities where we can be the bridge between their, where they are and you. 
Why? Because we are not going to suggest or think or believe that faith is one hour on a weekend. We're going to believe and understand that we have to live 167 other hours on mission, on point for you, Jesus. When people interact with us, they're going to see you. They're going to experience you. They're going to know you because we're living for you. Help us to live the 167 life as a church that people would know that we're not just a church that meets on Sunday. We're a church that lives and exists every day. We pray this and we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.